Hello, and welcome to the All Things Narrative podcast, where we explore the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live. I'm your host, Derek Hatch, and let's get started. What's up, everybody out there? This is your friendly narrative practitioner, Derek Hatch, back in action, ready for another exciting episode, and I hope you are too. Thank you so much for stopping by and spending some time with us here at All Things Narrative. So on the day that this episode is releasing, it's very interesting because it's the end of the month, February 28th, the last day of the month, right? And of course, many of you out there probably know that February is Black History Month. And so we've spent this entire month, or at least hopefully you have, uh, reflecting on the many people that have come before us uh, in African and Jamaican and Haitian history and just honored them in some way. Whether it was maybe learning about someone that you didn't know a lot about, or whether you took place in maybe some sort of celebration or a festival or something that was going on in your local community. And we used to do Black History events uh, back at my old job. And it was always such a special thing to see because uh, when I was working in the inner city, that's a majority Black population. And so being able to have those kids honor those that came before them, but at the same time, cast a vision for where they wanted to go. And when we did these celebrations, we always wanted to make sure that we emphasized that black history is not just something that we acknowledge in February and then we forget about in March and the months that follow. This is history. This is a part of our story as a nation, as a people, as humanity, and being able to honor that every month of the year, every day of the year. Releasing this episode today might at first seem counterintuitive. Well, if you're doing a Black History episode, why didn't you release it at the beginning of the month so people could check it out and listen to it there? But I wanted to use this as an opportunity to release an episode, yes, technically at the end of Black History Month, but also at the same time to be able to cast a vision for celebrating Black history in our lives, in our hearts, and in our own stories, no matter what day or month that might be. And so I have some guests that I'm really honored to have on here that come from completely different places in terms of their generations, in terms of their backgrounds, and in terms of my personal history with them as well. And so we're going to take a look at how their individual stories intersect within the larger narratives of Black history. And I think this is something that all of us need to do, um, whether we're Black or not, whatever, regardless of our race and ethnicity, right? So, for example, I think about myself as a white dude, although... But it's weird to say that because I'm a mix, I'm actually a mix of Puerto Rican and Jewish and Irish and Italian. But of course, you look at me and you're like, oh, that's just the white dude, right? But it's interesting because I think about, okay, obviously the role of, of white people for the longest time has not been good in terms of black history or just any minority history in general in this country whether it be um, the terrible things you could read in the diary of Columbus, I mean, my goodness, with the in, uh, indigenous peoples here, to what's going on with immigration nowadays. 
But to bring it to black history, of course, one of the things that we think of is slavery. And we think of the Atlantic slave trade and the terrible atrocities and the lies and the deception that were there in bringing people to this land in chains. That's not an easy thing to talk about. It's not an easy thing to acknowledge that that's part of your history, right? But it's important too. We don't want to skip past that. We want to be honest with our history. We don't want to try to sugarcoat it. We don't want to try to whitewash it, pun intended. We want to recognize it for what it is. And we like to say in narrative practices that everyone is multi-storied, right? So I was very thankful when I was in high school, I was, took an AP world history class. And I was very thankful that when we did African history and those different countries, we didn't start at the Atlantic slave trade. We started with ancient Africa, right? We started with ancient Egypt and ancient South Sub-Saharan Africa. And we actually learned about the history of Africa as a continent and the different peoples there. And I thought even at the time that was really cool to not just see part of the story, but to see the whole story. And we watch films, great films that help us to see the multi-story that it's not just all of these people over here are bad, right? We, we acknowledge the good that was there when it's taking place, whether it's in something like uh, Lincoln or Black Klansmen. We see in, in these types of stories we see how complicated history is and we see that progress is oftentimes slower than we desire. So I look at the past and I at the same time recognize that I, and I think a lot of us feel this way, we don't want the sins of the past to be repeated. And so we have to ask ourselves individually, each and every single one of us, what is my role in this story? I remember in particular doing a panel uh, with my good friend, Luther, who I'm going to get on here at some point again, and uh, my other good friend, Michelle, and we did a panel on race at my church. And, you know, for me, I want to be someone that helps break down barriers, tear down walls, to be able to open the, the floor, the dialogue, for that conversation to happen. And so we all have to figure out how we're doing this. We all have to figure out how to honor um, the stories of those around us and to acknowledge the stories that are painful of our past, both individually and collectively. And even individually, you just think about, you know, have you ever said something racist to somebody? Have you had a racist thought about something? I mean, I know I sure have. And we need to be honest about that. And so we all need to find our place in the story. And that's why I'm really excited for these two guests here. Um, so let's go ahead and get into that. And I'll uh, introduce you to each one of them as they come. So here we go. Right, so my first guests up on this episode that I'm really, really excited to have here are Michael and Denise Hopkins. And so I met Michael and Denise months ago. It's been, been almost a year now. And we met uh, at a networking group that meets at Lake Worth. 
and they have been part of my workshops. They've done my Live a Meaningful Story program and we're in a mastermind together. And so we've just gotten to know each other uh, for a long time. And I have been saying, you know, I gotta find a way to get you on the podcast. And so I'm just really honored to have you both here and just super grateful for just not only all the interactions that we've had, but that even you listen to this podcast as well. So how cool is that? So uh, Denise, Michael, uh, welcome. And just uh, take a sec, tell me a little bit about yourself. I am Denise Hopkins. I am your friendly financial freedom fighter. Yes, I love it. I reside in Royal Palm Beach. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, after we got married, we moved to St. Croix in the Virgin Islands. Life changed, seasons changed, and we moved here in 2001. And so here we are, what, 22 years later. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you, Denise. And how about you, Michael? And I am Michael Hopkins, and I'm just so thrilled to be able to be in this space with Derek. Um, Derek and I have connected um, over the past few months. It's been great. He has, uh, as you all know, amazing energy. And so I'm just thankful that he, Denise, and I have gotten together. We have um, fellowshiped in, in our homes together and different events together. And I'm just so excited to finally be able to get together and see how this whole podcast thing works. Yeah, you guys are getting the inside scoop, you know, here in the, the studio office. And so super grateful you guys are here for this. So I want to begin just kind of uh, hearing a little bit about your story. Now, I've been blessed to get to hear much of your story through the different interactions that we've had and through getting to know you and through the program and whatnot. But I love for our viewers to just get to know you a little more through your story. So I don't know who wants to go first, but just, uh, yeah, tell me, tell me a little bit about, you know, your origin story. How do we get Michael and Denise Hopkins to where you are today? Well, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and we, um, our families knew each other for years. Mm. Both, matter of fact, um, our families both attended the same Methodist church together. And so we were just always connected on some level. Um, yeah. We were just um, good friends. Um, I considered her my sister. And How old were you guys when you first met, by the way? Oh, that's like, a good one. I, w- I would have to. I would have to check with my wife on that. Um, <laughs> certain fine details like that from my past um, escape me. I would say I became aware of Michael when we were teenagers. Okay. We had at church, we had a middle school, high school choir called the youth, called the youth ensemble, and that is my recollection. I don't remember Michael from junior choir. That doesn't mean he didn't participate, mm-hmm. but in terms of my awareness, definitely teenage years, youth okay. ensemble. Cool. So prior to um, our families getting together at that church, uh, my family had moved for a time to Illinois. Dad was a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. And so dad had the opportunity, he was given the opportunity to take on a position as a registered pharmacist mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in, in Illinois. Uh, he and, and he moved his family there and we all went and we were excited for the, uh, the opportunity. Um, this was the 60s and I know there were definitely um, challenges for him. Yeah. Um, you know, especially as we are speaking in, in this particular month of black history. Uh, yeah. One thing I know dad faced, although he didn't talk about it a lot, I guess, as we were children, is that, um, you know, the racial strife and the, um, the implications of a, of a black pharmacist 
in a um, in a predominantly a white area, and how exactly that would impact him and and uh, our family. So, you moved from Brooklyn to Illinois in the '60s, yes. as lots is happening, lots <laughs> is going on around the country, right? Yes. So, what was what was that like from your perspective, you know, as you're growing up and you're kind of seeing this change in the world in terms of civil rights and, you know, what you saw in Brooklyn versus what you saw in Illinois. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about all that? Because a lot of what happened in my past during those years, um, I sometimes struggle to recover because of um, a certain level of um, memory challenge that mm-hmm. I experienced. But I do remember different things. Like, for example, I do remember us attending different marches, mm-hmm. um, whether or not I was fully aware of the impact. But I, I know Dad was definitely um, connected and he made sure that um, we as a family attended yeah. and we were exposed to different things. I do know, well, I do remember one instance where we had gone into a church and I don't know if there's a church that we were looking to begin attending on a regular basis yeah. or... Maybe we were attending and and maybe one day came to a head, but because of um, the um, because of the racial strife, there was something where we were the way I remember it mm-hmm. asked not to attend anymore. Oh wow, as a, because of you know, who we were and, and what we looked like as opposed to anything that we had said or done. And how old were you? When that happened, I'd have to say uh, that was um, very early. I'd say probably first grade. Wow! Because I, I remember we were only there for about a year. Yeah, it was cut short because of something that I'm. I don't believe Dad ever shared with us. Mm-hmm. But again, because of the climate, I know there were racial tensions. I can only imagine um, because Dad um, had a very. He was outspoken. Mm-hmm. He had a very. Um, unique and special personality. <laughs> and if he had something on his mind, he was definitely going to share it regardless of who was there sure. and regardless of what someone was going to say. And so I can imagine that um, probably was a conversation. They got into it and perhaps it was like, okay, you need to leave. Because yeah. I don't know if it was like, okay, we're going to be going back to Brooklyn in a couple of months or we need to leave tonight. I have no idea. Mm. That's just something that that's eluded me. Um, that's a conversation that, and I never had as as an adult. I'm yeah. Not, but um, I definitely know that when we left Brooklyn, we just put the house for rent. We didn't sell the house, so it was very easy to just go back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so whatever happened, it was like, okay, we're going back to Brooklyn. Yeah. And to this day, I have no idea um, about the impact or, or exactly what led to that. And when you got back to Brooklyn, because I can imagine that must have been pretty shocking to go to Illinois and have something like that happen. And then you come back to Brooklyn and are things smoother in terms of, you know, how the civil rights movement was was going there compared to Illinois? Based on my recollection, I'd say, yes, it was definitely smoother. We were able to move back into the home that we lived in. Um, I was um, enrolled in the public school, which is actually right across the street mm-hmm. uh, in first grade. So that's how I at least have a, um, an idea of yeah. you know when that was. And I guess it was business as, as usual again. 
Yeah. Or whatever it usually was. I mean, like I say, I do remember, even in Brooklyn, I remember us attending different um, um, civil rights marches or different activities. Um, I, I definitely remember, for example, um, us attending um, different rallies for um, Lu- uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember very definitely we were um, involved, like I say, at, at the uh, neighborhood Methodist Church. Yeah. And, and there were different um, organizations and activities that, um, that we were part of as a result of it. Awesome. And a question I had for both of you was, when did your families, like how long were your families in the States? Um, do, do you know when they came? And I know that, um, well, my, my father was born in North Carolina. Okay. So it was just a matter of, um, over time finding his way to New York. Mm. My mom was born in Jamaica. Okay. And, um, the exact years escape me. Yeah. Like I say, a lot of, a lot of things in my, my, in my younger years, I just don't have um, my finger on in terms of the years and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But mom, I remember mom had been in Detroit and a friend of hers said, what you doing up there? Why don't you come to New York? Mm. And so she did. Now, exactly what year that was, yeah. um, I'd have to do research or, or my, um, my ever-present memory mm-hmm. <laughs> who's in the person of my wife um, would probably be able to fill in those years. But... Um, yeah, mom, although she was born in, in Jamaica, she made her way to to, um, to the U.S. And then when she was in New York, um, yeah, that was definitely before I was born. Okay. How about you, Denise? So to help Michael out a little bit, his parents married in 1957. So I would imagine that his mom immigrated to the United States in the 50s. Okay. Both of my parents are from the island of Barbados. Mm-hmm. My dad immigrated to this country in 1952. Okay. My parents did not know each other, though, although they both hailed from the island of Barbados. Mm. My mom immigrated to this country in 1953. It's interesting you posed that question because I was just musing to myself within the past week. I don't remember having the conversation with my dad mm-hmm. as to what was the impetus for you to move to the U.S. Yeah. For my mom, it was very clear, the misogyny, um, the sexploitation of women. Mm. You know, we were saying earlier, as much things change, they remain the same. Yeah. Uh, Many of the business owners um, sexually harassed and sexually assaulted Mm. women. And my mom saw a lot of her contemporaries be teenage moms, Mm -hmm. and she wanted a different life. Yeah. So she came in 1953. My dad served in 1953 during the time of Korea. Mm-hmm. I do remember asking him. It occurred. It occurred to me. My dad came in 52, but he was in the service in 53, and he wasn't an American citizen. So I asked him about that, and he kind of chuckled. I don't remember it. I'd have to Google. But there was a particular act in force where. Immigrants who entered the country legally were drafted into the armed services. Oh, wow. And basically, my dad said, it was kind of tacitly said to you, 
either you enroll in the armed forces or we will make it almost impossible for you to become a citizen when you have fulfilled the number of years that you need to reside in the country. Wow. So, yeah, my dad didn't talk about his service a lot. He did say that one day they were like, Johnson, report to the mess hall. And he went. And it's like, so where are your witnesses? Witnesses Mm -hmm. for what? So what my dad explained to me they would naturalize immigrants in mass mm-hmm. in the armed forces before they completed basic training. Yeah. So they would be citizens. Uh, fortunately for my dad, the Korean War ended days before he was to be deployed. Okay. My godfather was from Panama. I believe he was deployed. And so uh, my parents, I had the presence of mind to ask my mom. So interesting, fun fact, my parents live 10 minutes from each other in Brooklyn and didn't know each other. Come to find out a very close family friend who's an extended, she was one of my um, extended grandmas Mm -hmm. and my godmother. So let me pull back a little bit. So in the 50s, something that we see now, when people immigrated to this country, they did not honor their credentials. So Mm. there was no such thing as a GED. So many of my extended family goes back to 1952 and 53. Mm -hmm. What would happen, immigrants would go to high school at night for four years to get their high school diploma. Mm. I have a friend whose father recently went home to be with the Lord. And one of the things that was said at his dad's um, homegoing ceremony is like, hey, Watson would always brag that he had two high school diplomas. (laughs) So I asked his son, we're very close, Cedric. I was like, do you know why your dad has two high school diplomas? He said, no. I said, do you know how our parents, and I named some other folks who lived down the street, met? He's like, no. They all met at Girls and Rights. Girls and boys. It was actually girls' high school. Mm. It was not co-ed at that time. Yeah. And because there were so many immigrants who ate similar food, it was nicknamed the peas and rice school. Mm. So back to matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. <laughs> so my mom um, immigrated to this country and lived with her paternal great uncle, who was very strict. Mm-hmm. I said, so how did you meet um, dad? Well, you know, mother born and your godma, Boise, met dad or knew dad and liked him for me. Mm. And they had something called a barn dance. Mm-hmm. So I never really got exactly what this barn dance was. Mm-hmm. And my mother, who was very black and white, actually lied to her uncle. Said, mm. he, I'm going over to mother born's house. <laughs> and that's how she met my dad. Wow. So the rest of the story regarding that is that Church of England is very big. The Anglican church is big in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. My dad went. And again, as much as things changed, they remained the same. Mm-hmm. So my dad was told one time too many, you're sitting in my pew. So he stayed to the end of service. He told the father, this will be my last Sunday. And he started attending Salem United Methodist Church mm. in Harlem. It is a landmark yeah. church. Well, 
My mom started going to Salem United Methodist Church oh, in Harlem. Oh, there we go. So that kind of was like... Meet the, the church. Yeah, so that was kind of like the date meetup yeah. on Sundays. My parents actually got married at Salem cool. uh, United Methodist Church. So um, that's how my parents got here. I was, as again, I was just musing within the past week. It's like, you know, I don't know dad's story. You know, oftentimes we hear people immigrate to the United States for a better life. Yeah. I got my mom's specific story, uh, but don't know dad's. I know that his situation with the um, army left a bad taste in his mouth. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad was a certified secondary, that would be high school math teacher. They did not honor his credentials. So my dad went back to school on the GI Bill. Mm -hmm. Let me pull back a little bit. Dad's situation was a little bit different with his credentials, but how he still was not able to continue and pursue his teaching career, they failed him on his oral exam. Mm. If you listen to different Caribbean accents in general, the Barbadian accent is kind of the easiest to understand to someone who's not linguistically... um, Mm -hmm. I don't know what the right word, but linguistically, it's easier to to understand. Mm -hmm. Case in point, a lot of people get really excited because Barbados has their first female prime minister, Mia Motley. Mm -hmm. And when she speaks at climate change at the G8, people's like, that was a phenomenal, you know, speech, case in point. So anyway, they failed my father on the oral section of the exam. Mm. So fast forward, he goes back to school on the GI Bill to major in social work. And he's like, I could hardly understand some of the teachers. Their accents were (laughs) so thick. So my dad spent the rest of his life serving children Mm -hmm. um, in the social work arena. He retired as a clinical director of two group homes um, Mm. for at-risk boys and girls. Awesome. So that's kind of my parents' journey. So I love it. You know, we're talking about different things here. We're talking about civil rights. We're talking about immigration, right? And I'm curious, you know, not just about your parents, but about both of you as well. What do you wish that people would better understand about your parents' stories, your stories, and about uh, these different experiences when it comes to, you know, coming from another country here, when it comes to um, standing up with civil rights and dealing with racism and all these different things, what, what do you wish people could, could understand who have maybe not been where your families and where you have been? Probably what I would say the most important thing is that folks would just understand how alike we all are as opposed to how different we are. Mm. I mean, a lot of times folks, when they get to know me and they get to know people I'm connected with, they're surprised of the diversity of backgrounds mm-hmm. of, of people I'm connected with. I mean, yeah. it's not like, oh, the black guy who with all the black friends. It's like, not at all. It's like, I mean, it's really at the point where I don't even really, if folks can imagine this, I really don't see skin color. Mm-hmm. I remember at, there was a time I was listening to an interview um, there's a Christian rapper you may be familiar with, um, Andy Mineo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he was talking about something, and you know that you know, I, you know, since it's on 
It's not on the TV, so I'm not looking at him. I'm just listening to a voice speaking about different issues. Mm. And it was something he was saying, and then I just, it, my brain was like, I couldn't, I, I wasn't getting, it's like, wait a minute, oh, that's right, he's, he is white. But, you know, I mean, basically, it got to the point where the things he was discussing just crossed color lines so much that it wasn't even like, you know, he was talking about this particular person or this particular group. He was just talking about folks and like, and, and we was just, I don't know, it was just, it, 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 folks just have to realize that we are just so alike. Yeah. As, and as long as we'll allow ourselves to connect all of this, all these issues that folks place as, as barriers mm-hmm. don't need to exist. And, and if you're open up enough, they don't exist. But you just have to be willing to not allow preconceived notions. Right. Decide how who you're going to connect with and how you're going to connect with them. Yeah. So, Michael, when you said that, it reminded me of, um, are you familiar with the Human Genome Project? Yes, I am. So Francis Collins was the guy who headed that up. He was in charge. And he has this quote. Um, he's got a great book called The Language of God that I highly recommend. Um, but this quote uh, is what you just made me think of where he says, we've looked at lots of people and we could say that in fact, the similarity between your genome and mine is very high. In fact, we are 99.9% the same. And that would be true regardless of where your ancestors came from or where mine did. The human species is one big recently developed family. And so our genome sequences reflect that. And that's pretty interesting. And in that regard, we're a lot more like each other than many other species on this planet. So I like that. And it's a great book where he talks about that project and all that he learned about people and about God through it, right? So yeah, I think that's so, it's so easy to lose sight of that, you know, because we are such a polarizing people and we love to split hairs over things. And at the same time, of course, acknowledging that that 0.1% difference has led to a lot of pain for a lot of people. And so being able to see that we do tend to focus on differences a lot. And there's a way that you can do that where we can celebrate, right? We can learn from our differences. We can honor diversity. Or there's ways that we can malign and that we can shame and that we can do terrible things in the name of our differences. So as you were talking, there's one thing that came to mind that that that, that I had to find a way to get past because, because of how I am with people. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I had to internalize. See, see, mom, mom comes from a different time. Mm. Speak, and and of course, my mom has seen a lot of things in terms of racial um, inequality. Yeah, and so she is stuck in that mindset that you know the us and them. Yeah, yeah, which has made it so hard for me because that although I grew up in it. It's not my experience, so that's not my frame of reference. That's not how I deal with people. Right. I mean, for, like, for example, one time mom was on the phone with her sister, 
And like, you know, certain times we needed help around the house just in terms of cleaning and whatnot. So we had someone come in and she was doing some cleaning and she was cleaning the floor. Yeah. And so now my mom is on the phone with her, you know, I guess reflecting on certain things from her past. Like, look at this. I got a white woman cleaning my floor. And it's like, Mm. really, mom? Really? And, and, you know, because of where I am, it's like, you know, how could you even have that conversation? But then again, yeah, I have to remember that because of where she comes from, mm-hmm. that's where she she finds that to be in a, an appropriate conversation to have. Sure, be, 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 you know, she finds that, you know, uh, you know, I guess there's like reciprocity, or there's like you know, vindication, or it's like okay, you know, finally, you know, yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not even going to try to justify it, but I, I, I just found it so offensive that she would say that. But then at the same time, I have to understand because of that's what she lived and that's what she's decided is, is, you know. Yeah, it's what we say on this podcast a lot that narratives shape our narrative, right? So our, it's not just our experiences, but it's almost the stories behind those experiences and there's a larger narrative that they're caught up in, right? Right. And that we put them in in order to make sense of everything. Yeah, so it's fascinating to to look at that and to have those conversations about the differences between where you were at, where your mom was at, where different people, you know, because I appreciate so much how people's experiences are so different. Right. And that's how we learn from each other, right? So Denise, what about you in, in regards to that question? I find myself of late saying the lost art of conversation. Mm, I, oh, come on. <laughs> right I, there with you. Uh, you know, a big thing in the Caribbean is to have conversation yeah. about from anything under the sun, politics, sports, cricket, soccer, etc. Yeah, I grew up in that environment. In Barbados, you have two political parties, the Labour Party and the opposition. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in social gatherings at our home or other friends' homes where there were spirited discussions. Mm-hmm. No one shot anybody. Yeah. No one cussed anybody out. Right. No one said, your kids can't play to my kids, so I'm not yeah. coming back to your event. Mm. So... Someone recently recommended that I read a book. I never thought about it that way. Mm. And it's someone of Spanish descent. She is a Democrat and her parents are Republicans. Mm -hmm. And she's had people say to her, and you still talk to your parents? You like your parents? Mm -hmm. Conversely, she knows of another family where the son said to his father, and you won't be seeing your granddaughter anymore because you're a Democrat. Mm, Wow. The reason I share this, yes, there's a lot of pain in history. Yeah. However, we're not having, in my opinion, conversations like, Derek, would you share with me why you feel about that topic? I really want to learn and understand your perspective. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we still may agree to disagree, but we could have the conversation. There's a level of humanity to say, okay, Derek has had these experiences. Mm. 
I have had these experiences. I understand why Derek might think that way, feel that way, and see things in that light. Yeah. As we build bridges and not blow them up, we'd be able to see each other's humanity based on our narrative, based on our experience, and find common ground. Mm. That is what I grew up with. An example with we had a family friend. When I look back, he was gay. Mm-hmm. And he was at every family event. I don't remember anything disparaging, no snickering yeah. or whatever. And, you know, I said to Michael, I said, he had a mean Afro and he was wearing Merce's before I, there was a name for Merce. <laughs> he was a professor at Hunter College. I remember one time he yeah. was backed up on grading papers and us kids, teenagers, had to answer keys and were doing a multiple choice. I don't ever remember a disparaging word said to him and about him. He was at every family event. So for us not able to not be able to even have a conversation and say, Derek, would you share your experiences? Right. There is a part of the book I highly highly recommend it where they got people on other sides of the fence. Mm, I like that. And bust in and sat down and they had conversation. Yeah, that's good. That's very much needed, you know, because I feel like the echo chamber is what we try to surround ourselves with. You know, you have these algorithms with social media that they figure out what you like and they just keep feeding it to you over and over and over again. So being able to go out and find those perspectives, being able to surround yourself with voices that are not like yours is huge. Yes. So, so the ahead. art law sort of conversation, Michael and I were on a date at one of our favorite restaurants. Yeah. And there were two people sitting. It looked like a mother-daughter. Mm-hmm. And I was so saddened in my heart. Both of them were face down on the phone. Mm. And I was reminiscing on my mommy-daughter outings with our daughter where we'd be in the park Veterans Park playing checkers or talking or giggling. And at that time, I probably knew every corny Christian kid's joke this side of eternity (laughs) or, you know, we'd find something goofy. But there was no what to me connectivity in um, eye contact or body language. And I just wept silently inside. It's like it goes so fast. Yeah. We have an adult daughter and when I see a little girls it's like it literally seems like yesterday. Wow. And when you hear people say that it sounds so trite but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. This you know it's surreal that we have an adult daughter. Yeah. And again the loss and she remembers those outings and conversations and goofy things that we did, mm-hmm. you know, making memories. Okay, I'm done. No, that's good. That's good. And what you're saying there about the lost art of conversation is is so good. Do you think that Black History Month really contributes to rediscovering that conversation, finding more ways to have those conversations? That is an excellent question that I've been pondering. My mom, we went to the Apollo Theater. We saw African dance troops. We went to the museums, mm-hmm. um, Labor Day Jam in Brooklyn. We were on <laughs> Eastern Parkway for yeah. Labor Day. So 
I was very blessed that my mom passed down the oral history of our family. I was I was in Barbados talking to an older cousin and they talked about an incident and I was giving it to them like almost verbatim and they their eyes got like silver dollars. It's like my mom told me all that stuff. Yeah. From a media standpoint, so there are more offerings of things to watch or sure. read or review or yeah. the commercials are more geared to us. So why is it just a month? So mm. I really don't have a good answer for you because in terms of culture and history, these are conversations and were, were intertwined into my daily life. Yeah. Um, my friend's children thought that I was Nigerian because our daughter's name actually is Adeola, oh. which means crown of honor. Yeah. It's a Yoruba name. I wasn't yet saved, but look at God. Um, psalm 8 was the first psalm she had to memorize. Oh, cool. That's a good and one. And it talks about um, we wear a crown of honor. Mm. And so, you know, having a name with with meaning and her middle name is my mom's middle name. Right. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of thought about that, and there's a lot of history in Saint Croix, which our daughter got to take part of in the plays and different right. cultural things. That in itself was a blast. Where the population was so diverse, and the government reflected the diversity of the people. Mm. So you had you had. Um, African and French and Crucian and uh, like they say, Tomians mm -hmm. sitting in government that you right. saw in the supermarket or you wave. So that was really um, an amazing experience. Yeah. Whereas here we celebrate and it should be uh, President Obama, Vice President Kamala Harris, which in that segment of the world, that's the norm. Wow. You know, our daughter's dentist. Um, was a native Virgin Islander. She was born and raised Ruby mm -hmm. Lake. Um, so our daughter got to see women and men who looked like her in position of power as clinicians and different things for the first eight years of her life. Yeah. Well, I just got to bring it back. I mean, I would say yes, during the month there, as Denise said, there are opportunities to view and experience different things that, that speak to, um, to our culture. But again, folks have to be willing to allow these things to impact them. Yeah. I mean, if they, if they're saying, okay, that was, that was a, that was a cute movie or whatever, mm. but you know, does it really have significance? Does it really have anything to do with my life and how I experience the world? You know, if, if, if you're not going to allow yourself to, to, to have that experience, then it just becomes entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a matter of um, us getting to the point where we determine that these things actually do matter. And, yeah. and how much are we willing to open up and share with others and, yeah. and, and, and the, allow it to be? The, there's, there's something you just made me think of there, um, an experience I had. So... In February uh, 2018, so of course that's Black History Month, and I had the opportunity to go see Black Panther with a group of uh, my inner city students. Yes. And so of course the, this is an all black population and 
it was, uh, there were a couple other staff members that went who were also black. So I was the token white guy of the group, right? <laughs> so when I went to that though, we, we went to go see that on, I think it was the week after opening week actually, but we went to go see, it was pack theater, pack theater even a week after. And that was one of those moments where for me, I was watching something that was created for entertainment elevate to something more, right? Mm. Yeah. Just watching how excited everybody was, watching the the representations of different black cultures yes. and not shying away from any of that, right? And just fully embracing what it was and what it wanted to be. And people just rallying around that and being moved by it was a really cool experience. You know, my, my experience watching Wakanda Forever was not as epic. It was just me and my wife on the couch while the kids were trying to sleep. But, you know, yes. it's all good. So, sorry, somehow I always bring it back to superheroes. It's funny. It's like, <laughs> and, and, and it's, I don't try to do that, I promise. It's just where my brain goes. And it's, it, it's so interesting that you should mention that you were in this experience where where you were the minority. Yes. Because so often now, a lot of times when we go out and we experience different um, social events, we, we look around the room and it's like, what? Our people don't come to these types of events? Mm, and so, wow. so often we are the quote unquote, the token blacks in the room. Right. And it's at the point where I don't feel it. I mean, like, you know, I don't feel like, oh, oh no, I'm, I'm the only one here. What, what? It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's just like you know, we've chosen to be in this environment, and yeah. this is what we've come to experience. And and it doesn't matter that that we're you know, it, it shouldn't matter that we're black and and no one else in the room is. Yeah, it's it's interesting because being white, I don't find myself in that space as much. Like I don't find myself that happening. Right. So like I remember I went to a a funeral. I've been to a few funerals for. Um, members of students' families, right? Parents or grandparents. And so I remember the first one I went to, I was the only white person in the whole funeral. And white people and black people do funerals very differently. <laughs> I mean, very differently. That might be one of the most culturally shocking moments of my entire life wow. was like, we're like singing and dancing mm -hmm. and celebrating. Celebrating. And I was like, this is different. That was what my reaction. It wasn't like a bad or, or good. It was just different than what I was used to. I'm used to it being so somber and yes. quiet. Nobody says anything, right? And this was like, whoa, we're going to town. The band is going to town. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it was different. So it was, it was something. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know. This is life. life. We're celebrating life. Exactly. So last last question I have for you both is, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> As you were saying that, I just couldn't help but, but, but think of, um, I forget how the quote goes, but something along the lines of probably the, mo probably the most segregated hour. Oh, yes. I've heard this quote too. In, in, on, it's Sunday morning because yes. the black church, the white church, yep. the, the and, you know, just how, how you say that we do celebrations of life differently. I mean, um, how we do church yeah. 
is is likewise um, very different. So I, I couldn't yeah. help but think of that when you said that. Yeah, yeah, no, so true. I've heard I've heard that as well. So the last question I have is. You're both in the financial field, you, but you do so much more than that. You really have a heart for families, young people, older people, for people of different generations and backgrounds, making sure that they're educated in all things finance, making sure that they're taking steps for the betterment of those who will come after them, right? So my last question is kind of how did you get into that and why, you know, whereas many people could get to this point where and just be like, okay, I'm just going to ride off into the sunset and try to cruise, you know, at this season of life. But you guys are super intentional and super all in and you're trying to really build something really special. So um, how did you get into that and what, what keeps you going? in that journey? Great question. So my parents are immigrants and my mom was, I think, modeled the behavior, but also had conversation about saving for a rainy day. Yeah. And nothing's for free. And so I gravitated and did very well at that. Yeah. I have an associate in accounting and a bachelor's in management and knew nothing about investing, was scared to death of investing mm-hmm. because I didn't know about it. But I did learn in school that you could pay dividends on stocks in between dividend dates. That's mm. all I remember learning. Yeah. So fast forward, uh, we did Crown Finan- Financial Ministries at church mm-hmm. and the facilitator said, you know, you'd be really good at this. And I had blinders on. Mm. Then... You know, when you get paged on a loudspeaker, either you're in trouble or your child's in trouble if you're on staff <laughs> at a church. Yeah. And I get paged and our executive pastor's like, we need to talk. It's like, you couldn't ring me up on my extension, dude. <laughs> so anyway, it's like, look, the pastoral staff is being inundated with requests for counseling. And what we're finding is the core of many of the family's problems is financial. Mm. We'd like for you to be a volunteer budget counselor. So I got certified through that. That was Larry Burkett and Howard Dayton's uh, Crown Financial Ministries, which kind of uh, predates Mm -hmm. uh, Financial Peace University with um, Dave Ramsey. Right. Life change and seasons change and an opportunity was presented before us and our daughter was graduating high school. Mm. We were praying and fasting what was next for me. So here we are. Wow. Friendly Neighborhood uh, Financial Freedom Fighters. We planted a flag here because we said, if we don't know this infinite information, who else doesn't know it and, and yeah. needs to know it? Uh, we lived on the island of St. Croix. I walked into a banking institution and said, I'd like to open up a retirement account. Mm-hmm. They took our money, never got the education. What we later learned is that many of the institutions, if you don't have 250000 to half a million dollars, no one's going to come out and give you education. Right. So what happens to the people who teaches our children? 
grows our food, makes mm-hmm. our good, and mm-hmm. protects our nation. Do they not get that information as well? So that's what we do. We have conversations every day with people. We come alongside people and give them an education. Yeah. You know, you know, in the Bible it says our people perish for lack of knowledge. People are perishing because they don't have the information, not because they are wasteful or irresponsible or whatever, however you want to color it. Yeah. People don't have the information in a way that they can understand it, yeah. that they can digest it, nor do they have um, the information of who can and will champion their cause. Wow. So this is just a, just a way of life for us. And that way of life is how you both live a meaningful story. Yes. <laughs> so I love it. Is there um, any way that, if anyone listening to this wanted to try to learn more from you or work with you, is Absolutely. there any way they can contact you? Sure, I can give um, my telephone number is 561-758-5085. Again, 561-758-5085. I'm Denise Hopkins. We are Team Hopkins. Both Michael and I are both licensed financial professionals. And we would love an opportunity to sit down and talk with you and see how we can help you. Uh, if you just need some education, we've got great educational tools, tools that we can share with you at no cost. We just want to get the word out. Awesome. Beautiful, beautiful. Michael, any final thoughts before we wrap? Just one thing came to mind as we were talking, uh, just in terms of being successful in financial uh, dealings. Um, dad had, my dad did have an entre- entrepreneurial vision. Mm-hmm. So he, 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 he owned a store, but see the way it went, I guess he didn't have a business coach, someone who would show him sure. how to be successful. Sure. And so I, I, I saw how not to be successful. And then, and that turned me off in terms of initially even thinking about pursuing anything concerning being an entrepreneur. Right. And so having seen how it doesn't work, Mm -hmm. being in a position to help folks and show them how they can be successful. Yeah. Makes a difference. Amen to that. Michael, Denise, thank you so much for being on, for taking the time to be here. And yes, this is going to be fun because you'll be on one of your drives and... (laughs) It's you now. <laughs> be hearing you on the drive. Indeed. So, Isn't special? So it is truly special. I am super grateful for both of you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for being able to share your story in many different ways with many different people. And I look forward to us just continuing to, to be together, you know? Derek, we are grateful for you. We appreciate the opportunity to sit here and have conversation yes and cultivate conversation thank you so much all right so i want to introduce you to sterling ship now sterling and i met i think in 2016 and Tori and I, 
we both got asked to help kind of carry on a youth group uh, uh, at a church called Royal Ponciana on Palm Beach Island. And I remember when I asked, all right, how many students are attending the group right now? And they said, oh, not none right now. And so they gave us a list and said, all right, here, start reaching out to families. And I remember reaching out to this family in particular. That's how I met Sterling is Sterling came to, I think, I think you came to the very first, uh, meeting that we had, the first gathering, right? And so I, so I met I met Sterling there and just over the next few years, really got to know him super well, got to see him grow up um, and ultimately graduate high school. And now he is a senior in college at the University of Florida, and he's going to tell you a little bit about his story and what he does, but I'm so honored to have him because as I've known Sterling over these years, I just see him as just an incredible young man. And I've seen just how much he cares about people, how much he cares about having conversations uh, like this, important conversations when it comes to race and politics and things that we typically get uncomfortable with. And Sterling has always been someone who is very open to those conversations, but at the same time, very open to listening to people. It's just been an honor to see Sterling over these years just be able to be a part of these conversations, to mediate them. I mean, you were doing this in your uh, in your high school campus. Um, so maybe, mm, right. maybe that could be a good place to start if that's okay with you. So how did you get passionate about being able to have these conversations openly with people? Oh, thanks, Derek. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, yeah, for me, it definitely started in 2016 because, um, I was never interested in politics before that, but for some reason, the Trump Clinton, uh, I'll say election, I was going to yeah. say fiasco election. <laughs> It's like a theatrical production. You can't make it up. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. It really got my attention. It made me more interested in politics because I started to understand that even though a lot of people don't necessarily like politics, Mm -hmm. um, I found out that those who usually do not not participate in politics are usually the ones that are the most affected, Mm. whether they realize it or not. Yeah. And a lot of times at the local level, you know, whether it be local, state, or, you know, federal, um, yeah. but it does matter and it does impact your life. Um, so long story short, that whole election, it just got me really um, interested in how politics works and how legislation is done and people's, you know, histories. I, without like, without getting into extreme detail, I was just so interested to see how there were two entirely different candidates. Right. Right. So it was just really, it was just really interesting to me. So I wanted to just like be more involved. So in high school, um, there was an incident that happened. Mm. uh, And we, me and my friend, my friend, Olivia, she and I are on complete opposite ends of the political spectrum. Yeah. I'm not, I wouldn't consider, I would not consider myself, um, a liberal, I consider myself more like a moderate Democrat. Yeah, yeah. 
and she and she's a she considers herself herself a conservative Republican. Mm-hmm. And here, but we we still were the very you know very very close of friends, closest of friends. Yeah, we still are we're still pretty still pretty close. Um, so we started talking about you know what does it mean to um, like basically be black in America? What does mm. you know? What does Black Lives Matter mean? Like mm-hmm. the saying, what does the saying mean? You know, right. and we started talking about different things like that. So we started talking in our pre-med class because I'm a I'm pre-med, I'm pre-med track. I was then in high school um, and now I still am in college. Yeah. And we both were, and we just started talking about this and how the the movement, it, it you know, affects people differently. People yeah. understand the, the title differently, like, it's, there's just so much there to unpack and we started talking for like hours mm. after school one day and we both decided let's not let's go ahead and see if we can start a club like an organization after school yeah um, we called it poli social club and it was literally just for us to talk about political um you know and social issues that mm-hmm. were oftentimes never talked about yeah because it, they were just you know I guess some people were afraid of getting into the weeds or some people were, you know, afraid of talking about controversial issues, but yeah. the both of us, we knew that it would be a benefit to the people, to our classmates, to our school, you know, our school members. And we actually had quite, we had quite a few um, students, the very first meeting and we continued to have a strong following yeah. all the way through. So after we got the club started um, with the approval of the principal, um, we just went ahead and had a teacher, um, you know, in the classroom. Yeah. Um, he was over us, watching over us, just making sure everything was civil. And it was. Mm-hmm. And that was just a great time for us to um, learn more about each other yeah. as a community in high school. I love it. And you know from my story that we have a lot of similarities about what we were doing in high school with trying to create these spaces. So I think that's beautiful. So one of the things you were saying was that you're trying to help your friend Olivia to see your experience and what it was like to be a black man in America, right? So my my question is how how do you do that? How do you help people to understand your story, to understand where you come from, to understand where you are and what that what the implications are of that? Well, I've learned over time and I've I learned this good and in the bad way, I guess you can say the easy and the hard way is a better way of saying it. Yeah. Um, that it's not my, I'm not trying to convince anyone, you know, of mm-hmm. anything because I know that people have their own minds and they're going to um, make up their own mind at the end of the day. Yeah. But what I can do is at least have a conversation and I can at least plant some seeds of knowledge and the history that I, that I personally know from either my family or from what I've learned throughout school or my community. Um, so those are just great. Those are great things that I've taken, um, and, and have moved on with. I definitely have learned that you cannot, and you should not really, in my opinion, should not try to convince someone of something Mm. you should give them the information, let them research it on their own and then let them continue to have that conversation with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Have that open, that open dialogue. So what's, what's an example of something that you would say to somebody like this way of planting seeds, right? Uh, can you give us an example 
whether it's from your own family or from history in general, something that you think is important that people should know in those conversations? Um, so if you're talking about, let's say talking about the African-American experience, the black experience and um, like police officers, for mm -hmm. example, my grandfather, he was a police officer for 26 years in West Palm Beach. He was mm -hmm. one of the first black police officers in the city. And he was well known. He, you look up his name, L.G. Harvey, mm -hmm. the letters L.G. H-A-R-V-E-Y. Um, he used to walk the beat up and down the street, cleaning up the area. And it was him and I think seven or eight other African-American cops. And yeah. they were the only black cops at the time in wow. the city of West Palm Beach yeah. in the late 60s, 70s. And he was known for being um, very, you know, very humble. He was known for being um, stern, though. Yeah. He was known for being stern. Um, so with that being said, I have the history of law enforcement in mm. my family. Yeah. And I also know of the history that law enforcement has played in the country when it comes with African-Americans, right. when it comes to dealing with African-Americans. Mm -hmm. um, I have nothing against police officers. You know, I do not hate them. I don't despise them at all. Um, with that being said, there are things that just happen, you know, that happen in our culture, right. that happen in America, that have happened in the past that we all can learn from. Yeah. Um, we want to have safe communities, which means we need to have good police officers. And mm -hmm. majority of police officers, I believe, are good people. They deserve to come home and be safe with their families just as much as everyone else. Right. So like, with that being said, we all should learn from each other. We all need to have this um, community policing, this, this dialogue, this, this loving type of relationship between the police officers that serve their community and the community that have to call on police officers when things go wrong. You know, yeah. so I always think about, I try to think about both sides whenever I'm having a conversation with someone. Mm -hmm. And obviously some in some instances, like when it comes to slavery, uh, there is certain things that I just, I cannot possibly see a reason for having slavery. I can't really see a rationale for having right. it. You know, so you can still listen to someone um, and their experience and their reasoning for having certain things. But at the same time, you have to be you have to be willing to be open, but also willing to be firm, you know, on what you know to be true. Right. And right. What I know to be true is that people are people. People deserve to be treated like people. We all deserve to have respect. Um, with that being said, you know, listening, being humble mm -hmm. and, and just being open is a great start. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't stress enough how important that is to have that dialogue, um, even in the most uncomfortable of circumstances. So yeah, no, that's good. I agree. I agree. I think that's, that's wonderful. So you, you're passionate about these things, but you have another passion as well. And that's that ever since I've known you, you've always wanted to be a surgeon. And so that's what you've been studying uh, in college now. And so can you tell us a little bit about where that passion stemmed from? Well, I'm an only child and I'm an only grandchild on both sides. Mm -hmm. So I hear a lot from people that they say, oh, you must be spoiled. You must be spoiled. And I definitely can say I am blessed because my family is very supportive. 
uh, which also means that I have being the only child, the only grandchild also means that um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of responsibility and a lot of people looking up to me. Right. You know, I do have like second and third cousins. Uh, a lot of them are younger than I am. So they're looking up to me as well. So with all that being said, I have learned to appreciate people and community. And I have just fell in love with, I guess, how people are and listen to their stories because mm -hmm. I grew up obviously with my parents, my mom and my dad. Um, but I also spent a lot of time with my grandmothers mm -hmm. um, you know, and my, and my, and my, um, my grandmother's brothers and sisters. So my great aunts and great uncles who were all like in their 60s, 70s, 80s, yeah. even my great grandmothers. Um, I got the chance to know two of them and one just passed away earlier this year, but she mm -hmm. was 93 years old. And I had the chance for 22 years to know her, to talk to her, to ask her questions. Yeah. So I just fell in love with people. And I think also growing up being around a lot of older people, like I was saying, it has, it's made me appreciate them. So mm -hmm. I always wanted to figure out a way of how to, how I could help, you know, people in general yeah. um, in the future. So I think growing up, you, you hear about what doctors do and surgeons do. I love working with my hands. Mm -hmm. So I put the two things together, the love of people and the love of wanting to work with my hands. Yeah. And I started searching and researching and asking questions. I have a cousin who's a doctor, who's a surgeon as well in Tampa. And I've been able to ask questions and just, you know, like just learn, you know, yeah. and it's made me really, really interested in becoming a surgeon. So in high school at Palm Beach Gardens High School, I was um, in the pre-med magnet program and then from there i went to university of florida where i, where I am now yeah. and, uh, i'm still pre-med it's my last semester actually so i graduate in may mm. um, thank god so you know the the next steps are you know studying for the mcat moving forward going to medical school yeah getting in and god willing and you know just making an impact in people's lives and to add to that, my major is health education and behavior. So it's mm. all about educating people, yeah. learning about people's behaviors, how they take what you're um, explaining to them and making it more um, palatable, you know, more digestible yeah. in a sense. And then my minor is in anthropology, which is a study of people. So it's mm. literally all people oriented. So I think yeah. definitely growing up being the only child and being in those environments made me appreciate people a lot more. Yeah. It seems like whatever you're doing, whatever realm you're in, you're finding that, I guess, kind of maybe the common theme in it all is that you always find these ways to genuinely connect with people, whether it's them being heard, whether it's them being seen, um, whether it's you doing whatever you can to serve them, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a tough course that you're in it for the long haul, you know, whether it's in these conversations or whether it's with you pursuing this path and becoming a surgeon. So what I'm really curious about is I'm sure there's lots of trials that come your way. I'm sure there's lots of things that you, you have to deal with on this journey. So what sustains you? What keeps you going? When you look on the news and you look and things look like they're going backwards, what keeps you pushing forward? When you are 
you know, on this, in the middle of this path towards getting a degree and, and ultimately more schooling to come in being a surgeon, right? And all that that's going to entail, all the clinicals and all the, the things that are leading up to that. With everything on your journey, what is it that keeps you going? <laughs> the Lord. <laughs> Amen yeah, to that. Faith, growing up, uh, growing up in the church, and thankfully, I had a very, um, a very good Bible-based church family that I was able to grow up in. I was always, um, when I was a kid, growing up in Sunday school, you know, going to Sunday school, um, always asking questions, being very inquisitive. I had great Sunday school teachers who would always pray for us before we even start the mm, lesson. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I would definitely say it's definitely my faith in, in God and Jesus, his son. You know, it's there's nothing else. That's the, that is my firm foundation. You know, that is where everything stems from. Now, obviously I'm not perfect, definitely not perfect. Yeah. Um, what I can say though, is that my faith has kept me and it has allowed me to not go down certain paths that I know I would have gone down if I was not a Christian, if I did not have a firm mm. foundation to stand on because those trials have come, those trials will continue to come. You know, life does not get easier because you become a Christian. Right. Um, but I can definitely say for a fact it makes life more it makes life more digestible in a sense. You're able to yeah, you're able to just I don't want I don't want to say get through. You're able to go through life yeah. without having the worry that things will not work out because if you truly understand the faith in the Lord and what the Bible says, yeah. So he controls it all. Let's dive in a little deeper to that because there's different opinions out there. There's different thoughts, right? Some people are like Christianity is just a white man's colonizing religion. You've got other people out there like the black Hebrew Israelites movement who are like, no, this is the truth right here and everybody else is wrong. So you've got quite a spectrum um, you know, in history, we've had white churches, we've had black churches, we've had segregation in churches. Mm -hmm. So what mm -hmm. is it specifically about your faith and, and God and, and the Bible and all that? What is it specifically about that, that not only sustains you, but like what you said, that keeps you from maybe going on a path that takes you away from your calling and your purpose, Right as all the things that we've discussed. And it, it sounds like that that temptation can always be there for every one of us to stray from that. So could you tell a little more about what the specifics are within that um, for anybody who might have a different perspective on, um, on Christianity and whatnot? Right. And I think it is very important that we understand God's word the way that God intended for it to be, mm -hmm. for it to come to us initially. Like a lot of times we as people, culture, whatever the case may be, may try and add to it, may try and change it. But what was God's original intention? I'm not sitting here claiming that I know God's mm -hmm. original intention Yeah, because um, I still have a lot to learn. And I know that. But what I can say for sure is that when it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Mm 
that is absolutely true. When it talks about for God to love the world, he did not say in that in the scripture, for God so loved the white world or the black mm. world. Yeah. Even though we have these different world systems, these different cultures, these, these yeah. different things, and there's nothing wrong, I would say, with having um, a culture. But when that supersedes, when that becomes priority for right. God, when that right. takes God's place, that's where we start adding in the, oh, well, religion says this, and then they said that at this church, and this church over here said this at that church, and this movement said this on this time, and they said this at this time. Yeah, There's always going to be different opinions. There's always going to be different people having their um, their their movements and their you know their ideologies and their ideas etc but at the end of the day when it's all said and done just like in the beginning mm-hmm. god's word will be there and that's where my faith lies it's in it's in him and that's what has brought me this far my faith my um favorite bible verses proverbs 3 5 through 6 trust mm-hmm. in the lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. Yeah. But in yeah. all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your Because we, we recognize that our understanding for every one of us is limited, right? We don't all see mm-hmm. the bigger picture, even when we think that we do. Right. And hindsight is twenty twenty. So how can we possibly trust our own understanding when we don't know everything to yeah. begin with? Yeah. It's important to have these narratives that anchor us, right? Because when we find ourselves in the present, the narratives that are coming, that are unfolding are uncertain to us. And I know that sounds obvious, but we need stories and narratives that keep us grounded, but also inspired to push forward because the future is uncertain. We never know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what, right? We don't know what the future is going to bring both personally and globally. And so being able to have these different narratives, whether it's, you know, exactly what you're saying is in the Bible and even also narratives within history of like, you know what? Anytime that I think that there's no hope or things aren't going to work out. I remember this moment in history, or I remember this speech that Dr. King gave, right? Or I remember that there's something that's within the human spirit that is still going and breathing and it's alive. And if it was there, then, then how can it be here now through me? Right? So do you have any uh, final thoughts, anything that you would want our listeners um, to know about you, about your journey, about where you've been, where you're going, narratives, anything at all? Well, I just wanted to say um, thanks again for the opportunity. And if you're ever in doubt or you're, you're worrying about literally everything that could possibly happen to you, and I know we all have different challenges, but we all have challenges at the end of the day. What I would say is what has kept me going, I've been, you know, I'm only 22, mm-hmm. um, but I definitely can say that give the Lord a chance, you know, be open. That's what has kept me here. That's what I can say about me because personally, I don't like talking about myself, <laughs> but yeah, I know that I know that God can use um, your own personal story and your personal testimony mm. to give glory to himself. And he, and he deserves the glory because the more we grow in our relationship with him, the better our life becomes. So yeah, 
that's why I'm I am more willing and more open to talk and have these conversations. Awesome. Well, amen to that. I think that's uh it's probably a great place to end it on there. So um Sterling, I am so excited to see your future, your story unfold. Um, because it is uh, you know, 22 years, but really it's just getting going at the same time, right? There is just so much that is coming so much that I'm really excited to see, um, that you are, that you are getting into. And I just want to say that I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of the, the young man that you are now and who you've become and just seeing you stay true to these values, stay true to your beliefs. It's not every day that I could say like, when I met this person seven years ago and they had these dreams you're still going after them. You're, you know, the story you want your life to tell and you are doing everything you can to move in that direction. And that's why I'm so proud of you and thankful um, just to even know you, uh, let alone have you on here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. I appreciate you too. (laughs) Definitely do. Thanks. All right. Well, this concludes our black history month special. And it's crazy because I had no idea where either of these conversations were going to go. But the beauty of interviewing people about their stories is that you get to see these themes, these reoccurring patterns, right? And I would say between these two conversations, the lost art of conversation, that really resonated with me. And I hope it resonated with you as well. So don't forget that we want to continue to honor and celebrate and have these conversations, not just in February, but anytime, anywhere, any place. And so that's where I'm going to leave you with. And if you want to learn more about the Live a Meaningful Story program that Michael and Denise did, or learn more about the youth work that I do, even with uh, churches and religious organizations like what Sterling was a part of, then feel free to email me at Derek, D-E-R-R-I-C-K, at allthingsnarrative.com. Follow us on social media at allthingsnarrative and join us again in two weeks for another exciting episode. This is your friendly narrative practitioner, Derek, here signing off saying thank you so much and until next time, take care.